Welcome to the Abbott Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Mark Drake. Well, I have the great joy today to speak about the why and the what of God's wrath. (laughs) 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 As we're reading through the book of Romans, uh, Josh gave us a a tremendous start last week. And uh, one of the things that I just want to remind you of is that, uh, as he said last week, the book of Romans is unique in that It is the only letter that we have of uh, the Apostle Paul's that he wrote to a group of churches where he had never been. All the other letters that we have of him uh, are either written to churches that he and his team helped to plant or to uh, uh, people that he mentored, Timothy, Titus, uh, those were people that he mentored. But he had not been to Rome yet. Uh, He wanted to go, but he had not yet been able to go. And uh, so, in fact, he starts out the letter saying, I tried several times to come, but I was not able to. One of the things I like about that is that he doesn't then follow it up by saying, and so I guess the devil won. Uh, He he had complete rest in uh, God's timing. And, of course, it was, I don't think it was on his bucket list to go to Rome as a prisoner, but uh, he did want to go to Rome. He ended up going as a prisoner, as we know. But he wrote this letter to them. Uh, to prepare them for when he did come. And he wanted to explain to them what he refers to as my gospel. And that wasn't some arrogant thing that he was trying to say, but he was trying to explain to them that what he was teaching, he got as a direct series of, uh, of encounters with Christ himself. And Paul did not hesitate to say that Christ appeared to him over a period of about 14 years. And during that time, he came, he had been an expert in the Old Testament, uh, which at that time was the only testament. But what happened during these encounters is that uh, Jesus began to open up his eyes to the fact that before the world ever began, this idea that God wanted to build a family by living in and through people. And that idea has always been God's plan. And that everything in the Old Testament was prophetically uh, given to lead up to Christ coming, dying, redeeming us through his death, resurrecting and proving that he was God, going back to the Father, sending us the Spirit to live in us. Now I want to read something. It's not going to be up here. I just want you to listen uh, and to kind of set the stage for what Paul is going to say. In this letter to the Romans... Paul does give a complete presentation. If all you ever had was the book of Romans, you could certainly know enough about how to serve God because Paul gives them a complete revelation and explanation of God's eternal plan. He talks to them about what sin did at the fall to the human race and how that fall and that sin, that rebellion against God has played out uh, historically up to the time that he was writing to them. He writes to them in this letter, and he talks about God's overwhelming desire to redeem us so that we could be part of his eternal family. God doesn't need anything, but he made within himself the need and desire to have us as as his family and his expression in the earth. But the only way that that could happen was the act of redemption, and so as he writes to them in Rome, he covers this, uh, this, this uh, issue of redemption and us putting our faith in the work that, that Christ did. 
But in this chapter, at the end of this chapter 1, he talks about the fallen humanity. He talks to them or writes to them about what sin has done to God's crowning creation and the tragedy of the fall. But I want to go back just for a moment and listen to these words. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. You know this passage, but listen, please. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God's desire has always been this redeeming of, of humanity and the redeeming of any who would choose to be redeemed. But he goes on and he says, he who believes in him is not judged. Isn't that awesome? You will never be judged by God. You will never be judged by him. Jesus was judged in your place. Then he goes on. But he who does not believe has been judged already, listen, because he has not believed. Not because of the specific sins that he committed, but because he has not believed in the only begotten Son. This is the judgment, that the, the light, that the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought or accomplished by God. Now, Jesus said that years before Paul wrote this letter. He's talking to Nicodemus the Pharisee, and this is what he says. People are not lost because of individual or specific sins that they commit. People are lost because they choose darkness over the light. It is not a lack of light. It's loving darkness. And this idea of loving darkness is, 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 is played out here in the end of chapter 1 of the book of Romans. So we're going to read this starting in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what, uh, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. And we're going to take this verse by verse. And there's some very important things to get just as we read this through and the context in which we're reading. Because last week, uh, Pastor Josh started in, in verse one, chapter 1, verse 1, and he talks about the power of the gospel. And how it's the gospel that redeems us. And that the gospel is the grace of God. Christ coming into us. Not just forgiving us. But coming into us. Living his life through us. But now Paul says that the wrath of God is against not just mankind. But the wrath of God is against the godlessness and wickedness. Now I want you to be thinking about this as we talk. The wrath of God is against those activities that hurt, harm, and destroy his creation. God's wrath is not against people 
but against the sins and the wickedness that hurt his people. If, 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 if you are a parent, you can imagine how you feel if someone does something that significantly hurts your child. You would not necessarily hate that person, I hope, but you would certainly hate the wickedness of what they did. And that's the way God feels about sin because he loves the whole world. And yet he sees the destruction and Paul is going to paint a, 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 a horrible picture, but it's a truthful picture of what sin does to human beings, the crowning creation of God. And then he says that uh, some of these uh, members of the human race not only do wickedness, but they actively try to suppress the truth. Remember what Jesus said. They could come to the light if they chose to, but they love darkness rather than light. Now we're going to read here in a moment a list of sins. We're going to read categories of sins. But just before we do this, I want us to jump ahead. All right? We're going to jump ahead to Romans chapter 2, the next chapter, beginning in verse 1. We're going to come back to chapter 1. But the reason we have to jump ahead is because I don't want any of us walking out of here today thinking that God's wrath is against us. God's wrath was put on whom? Jesus. Boy, that was a weak, wimpy. In fact, I think only our senior pastor said it very loud. God's wrath was put upon who? Jesus. So that you and I, by putting faith in him, his death and resurrection, would not be the recipient of God's wrath. So God's wrath is directed toward the sinful activities that would harm us, that would hurt us. How many of you have parents have said to your child, well, I guess you can do that if you want, but you ain't going to like the outcome. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Go ahead if you want to do that, but it's not going to work out well for you. God in his omniscience understands that. So God from the very beginning has established by creating us, he knows how our lives will work the very best. He wants us to have abundant life, but you can't have abundant life and continue to participate in things that are going to hurt you, destroy your faith, uh, make your thinking dark and futile, and that's what Paul begins to refer to now. But in chapter 2, it begins with, uh, in this translation, the word therefore. Now, th there's going to be two words we're going to look at. One is because, we're going to come back to that in a moment, and then this word therefore. Everything we're going to read in this list of sins where men act in darkness rather than light brings us to therefore you have no excuse. We have no excuse. We have no excuse unless we have received the gift of rightness with God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The human race 
is guilty before God. Now, what are they guilty of? The tendency is to say, well, they're guilty of sinning. But sin, the actions of sin, is simply the result of being my own God. See, either I'm going to own myself, or I'm going to receive Jesus as the owner of my life. You know how when you, 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 you buy, especially at Christmas, uh, I'm, this makes me nervous just even thinking about it. You buy a present for your kids at Christmas uh, only to find out that it's going to take you four days to assemble it. <laughs> but if you're very smart, and obviously I'm not, just, I'm just gaining a little bit of smartness. You read the instructions. And the reason you read the instructions if you're smart is because the manufacturer knows how this thing is supposed to go together so it will work at its very best. God made us and he knows how to lead us into abundant living. How our life, our marriage, our family, our job, our interactions with other human beings, uh, how that will work the very best. But if we turn away from the light of his instruction, if we love darkness rather than light, then we're going to get the opposite of abundant life. So he's, this is what he says. Therefore, you have no excuse if, you could add an if here, if you are one of those who passes judgment. For in, what, in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. So Paul begins with this understanding. That apart from Christ, we are all without excuse. We are all without excuse. Why? Because God made us. And in making us, he is to be the owner of our life. But that is not bondage. That's the way life works the very best. Now, if I don't want my life to work the very best, then I'll just walk in darkness and do it myself. And there's a whole long list of do-it-yourself stuff in here. And God's wrath is against that do-it-yourself stuff in here. Why? Because he hates people? No, no, no. He loves people. So his wrath is against behavior that destroys the abundant life. That's why we, when we look here in chapter 2, therefore, you have no excuse. So you and I look at that and say, okay, apart from Christ's gift of righteousness, I have no excuse. And when I judge other people for the sins that they do, I am judging myself guilty too because sin is is sin, is sin, is sin, is sin, is sin. See, it's so easy to want to categorize sin and to figure that the sins that are the really bad ones are the ones I don't do. Right? But the reality is sin is saying, I don't need God to be who he is. I'll be my own God, thank you. I'll figure out how this thing ought to work myself. It'll never work. It'll never succeed. 
And if we wise up and don't like the results, then we turn to him, we receive his gift of righteousness, and he comes to live in us and begins changing us from the inside out. So now, understanding that Paul is giving a serious warning against judging other people for the specific sins that they do, rather, as Jesus said, God loves the world so much, he did not send me to judge you. He sent me to save you. So I'm inviting you into the light. Paul is saying the same thing to us. We must not live a life where we look at other people and judge their sins. See, I, you know, I, people say, well, you know, Jesus said judge not. You hear that from people and you say, I wish you'd read your Bible. <laughs> because that's not what it says at all. We have to make value judgments. But the hypocrisy comes when we judge other people, but we're not willing to truthfully examine ourselves. Now let's go back to the dilemma of this wrath. We start in verse 18. The wrath of God uh, is being revealed. Now listen, he ends up in this verse 18, and he says, God has made himself plain to all men. What in the world does that mean? What, what, what does that mean? He says, the truth that they should know about God has been made plain to them because God has made it plain. What does that mean? Well, if we go ahead and read the next verse, uh, in verse, uh, where are we, 20, uh, verse 20, here's what he's talking about. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Why are all human beings without excuse if they deny God or don't serve God? Because creation itself tells us enough about the faithfulness of God about the reality of God. David talks about it in the Psalms. And he says, you can look at the wondrous things that he has made, and it speaks of his faithfulness. The rising and the setting of the sun speaks of his faithfulness. Apparently he's not fully faithful to us here in Alaska, because the rising and the sun, no, that's not true, that's not right. But, but it, it, it still happens, even though it's just really, really short. Oop, there it was. Uh, uh, <laughs> but all of creation, the, the way it works, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, look to the flowers of the field. Look to the birds of the air. Your Father takes care of them. God has created creation. He has put together creation in such a way that anybody who has a heart to want to know the Creator can know Him because there is light in all of creation that would tug at a person's heart, unless, unless their hearts love darkness. And if their hearts love darkness rather than light, then these are the kinds of things that are going to happen. You can refer to it as the book of nature. We have the book of God, the Bible, but we also have the book of nature. When we see how God has created and what he has created and the faithfulness with which he has created, the reality is that there is within every human being a sense that there is a God only a fool says there isn't 
But the reality is that all human beings, because from the beginning when God breathed into Adam, that knowledge and reality that, that somebody greater than all of us started this. And let me just quickly say that this is why there is such a battle right now about evolution. Because evolution leads us to believe that we have no obligation to the one who started this. Because nobody started it. And of course, real evolution teaching is not scientific because science teaches that nothing cannot make something. In every other area of science, except this arguing about evolution, scientists will teach it requires something as a catalyst in the beginning. Now we can argue about the higher power, but it takes something to create something. Something cannot come out of nothing. And in every other area of science, we know that until we come to this foolishness about evolution. And the, rea and the reason for that is that if we can say we all came from nothing, then we have no obligation to who made us. We are our own God. We are a God unto ourselves. Therefore, we will love the darkness rather than the light. Because God does reveal himself in that way. And then it goes on. And by the way, this built-in sense that there is something greater than all I can see, there is along with that this innate built-in sense of a morality that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. But if we can convince people that we were made from nothing, then we get to decide what's right or wrong. Now, why do we have laws in our country? Because certain behaviors are not good for other people. So we have right and wrong. Where did that come from? Oh, it came from a monkey. Really? Have you ever watched monkeys get along together? Really? That sense of morality, God in his mercy built in to mankind. You know why? Because if it wasn't there, mankind would have wiped itself out a long time ago. But there is a God-given, built-in sense of morality. And that's what's kept us from blowing this place up. Wiping out everybody else. However, even though that's built into us, because of the fall, the rebellion against God is rebelling against the knowledge of Him. So we follow on to the next verse, verse 21, still chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God. Now we know from the context of what Paul is saying, we're not talking about knowing God as Savior and Lord. We're talking about although they understood there is a God there somewhere, they knew there was a Creator somewhere. Although they knew that, they chose to neither glorify Him as God nor give thanks to him. And here's the result. They, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Choosing to sin, even for us believers, choosing to sin 
will begin to twist the way we think and it will begin to darken our hearts. And when that happens, we will no longer sense. You know, Paul talks about having our conscience seared or calloused where we don't feel things quite like we did before. And the answer, the antidote for that, and the answer when it begins to grow in us is a remorse for making choices that are against the manufacturer's instructions. Let's go to verse 22, next verse. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man or birds or animals or reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over. Now listen, this is what happens. God operates on the basis of human choice. He reveals himself undeniably in nature. And then he waits to see whose hearts will reach out for him. And when they reach the other way, he gives them over to what they're choosing. So it says, he gave them over in their sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Linda and I do quite a bit of travel in Asia, and when we're not here, we're most often uh, in Asia, and we're mentoring leaders over there. Uh, in churches throughout especially Southeast Asia. And everywhere you go in Asia, you find idols. They're everywhere. They're on every block. They're in nearly every house of Buddhists, uh, Hindus, whatever. And uh, there's these kind. Now, this is a big one. This is Garuda. This is a, one of the primary gods in Indonesia. And uh, when I show people pictures like this, they frequently say, ooh, you shouldn't stand so close to that thing. No, I'm serious. I, I've gotten emails before and said, you know, Mark, you, you, did you go through inner deliverance and healing after you got that close to that thing? No, I'm serious. I'm serious. You know what my response is? It's concrete. Concrete doesn't scare me. I'm not afraid. of. Now, if it fell on my head, that would be a different thing. Let's go on uh, to the next one. Uh, or have you been doing that already? Look at that one. See, I, li I, I, li I like to get around them and smile. You say, well, why would you do that? Go to the next one here. This is the dragon god. And yeah, I mean, there are thousands of them. They're everywhere. People have them out in front of their homes, out in the front of their stores, little bitty, little bitty idols, and they, they burn incense to them, and they come out if business is not going well that day, they come out and they put a little penny coins down, a little rice, pour a little oil, and then at the end of the day, they throw it all away, and they start all over again the next day because they're worshiping the created thing rather than the creator. And you say, oh, you know, man, you know, when you're around that stuff, you know, doesn't that feel dark and demonic and spooky? And, uh, no, it doesn't. And here's why, or here's why not. 
Acts chapter 19, Paul was preaching in Ephesus, and he was, uh, there was such a, a, a harvest of souls that people were stopped buying the idols that the craftsmen were making, and so they tried to get Paul arrested, and this is what they accused him of. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. That was how Paul felt about idols. They're not gods. They're nothing. A human being made it. See, that's the problem. If a human being is your God, we got real problems. And we make ourselves our God. Uh, another, 1 Corinthians 8, when Paul's talking about food offered to idols. He says, if your faith is strong, you don't have to worry about it. Why not? So then about eating food sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. You say, yeah, but what about the people that worship those things? Okay, now you're talking about something different. When people start worshiping these false things, then they do open up their hearts and their minds to the work of evil spirits. Yes, they do, but that ain't me. And I hope it ain't you. I'm saying that because my daughter's a, uh, an English uh, major. Uh, <laughs> but listen, the, we need to get our, 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 our belief system from the Word of God, not from superstition. I've had people say many times, well, I hope when you were over there, you didn't bring back any souvenirs, you know, because all the witches get together and they put curses on those souvenirs. And when you bring them into your home, your kids will get sick and all those other kinds of there are no gods at all. There are no gods at all. If you believe they are, then you're opening the door. My door's closed. I've already got my God. He is the only one. He's over all the others. And so I'm not going to be afraid of that. Now, because I know that, because I know that, when I talk to the people that own those, I don't waste a moment of talking about that. I talk about the one that's the real God over all gods. When Paul went to Athens, he said, everywhere I looked, I saw idols and people worshiping. And then I saw an idol that was made, or a table that was made, altar made, to the unknown God. I said, hey, everybody, pay attention. See that one right there that you say you don't know? I know that one. That's the real one. Let me tell you about him. He came, he lived, he died, he rose. You see what I'm saying? Paul spent no time saying, oh, don't do that. He knew that if they surrendered to the real God... That piece of concrete's going to become a doorstop. Now let's take this one step further because we have to keep reading. And it's not fun. Verse 26, Romans chapter 1, we're still there. Because of this, because of what? Because they kept choosing to go their own way. Because they kept choosing to worship what they wanted, not what God said. God gave them over. This is mentioned twice. In these passages, mentioned twice. As a result of humans choosing, God gives them up to it. That's what you want, then that's what you go. Now, this is after God has given full revelation in all of nature. The Holy Spirit working constantly in all of nature. And yet, they choose a lie, darkness rather than light. So how does God respond? He gives them up to what they're choosing. He says he gave them over to shameful us. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. 
In the same way, men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in, in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Now, obviously, folks, we're talking about homosexuality here. That's what he's talking about. And what he is saying is that this is contrary to nature. This is not the way the manufacturer intended for you to work the best. And if you choose this, the result that will come into your life will be far, far from the abundant life God wants for you. But you can choose it. You can choose it, but if you do. Now, I know when we talk about this, we get real nervous because for most of us, homosexuality is kind of an unknown thing. We may know somebody, but we don't know much about it. It makes our skin crawl. I understand all that. But we've got to understand who he's talking to. He's writing to people who were living where? Come on, where? In Rome. The Caesars, most of them were bisexual, and they did it out in the open. Homosexuality was on the street. It was everywhere. It was just another act of sex. It was always a part of the society. So this is what these first century believers were surrounded by. And Paul says, and such were many of you. You were this way too. Now, let me ask you a question. Which is worse? A man and a man getting together, homosexuality, or a married man having another woman on the side? They're the same. It's wrong. Now, you say, wait a minute. What if homosexuality is something that you're born with? Okay. What else are you born with? The desire to lie and not get caught. The desire to steal and not have to work for what you're going to buy. And most men that I know, the desire to have about as many babes as they can. Come on. Are you there? You understand what I'm saying? Look, the bottom line here is if we love darkness rather than light, it doesn't matter what these specifics are. But because for some of us, that expression of same-sex love, same-sex sex, it's so far out of our daily experience. I've got friends who I believe are born again, and they are really struggling with same-sex desire. That is no different than other friends that I've got who are really struggling with online pornography. What The answer for both of them is Jesus loves you and wants to set you free and give you an abundant life. However, when we judge, we are now, go, we've already gone to chapter 2. Therefore, you are without excuse if you judge others. You see, God will never be able to reach people through us when we categorize sin. Say, oh, well, that's a terrible thing. No, 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 the terrible thing is he doesn't know Jesus. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the terrible thing. You say, well, we're against abortion. Yes, we are. But what we're against way more is that woman or father of the baby not knowing Jesus. I've got all the confidence in the world 
that the just God will take care of the eternal spirit of an unborn baby who is aborted. I believe God is just and merciful and will take, but my heart breaks for that young girl who doesn't know Jesus. But when we pass judgment, we judge ourselves too because sin is not functioning the way the manufacturer has said would be best for us. We're all born with desires that come from our father Adam. We are all born with desires for the wrong things. That's what the new birth is all about. To birth us again into a new family with the Spirit of God in our lives. So we come to the end of this chapter, verse 28, Therefore, or furthermore, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so he gave them over to a depraved mind. This is where wickedness gets wicked all the time to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips. Ooh, wait a minute. Doggone it. Gossips in the same list with murder and homosexuality. Ooh. Slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boast, whoa, oh, oh, man. No wonder we needed to read the first verse in chapter 2. Therefore, if you judge, right? right? All right. <laughs> Pastor, pray for me. The office that I work in, the people there, they cuss. And that just makes me feel so dirty. Would you pray for me that I can get another job? Now, I know Josh's answer. His answer would be no. You're supposed to be salt in life. You're, 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 you're prissy little ears. You, you, you'll, you'll be okay. Right? I mean, salt and light's got to get in there where it's dark. We, it's got to get in there. Listen, when unregenerated people act that way, they're just fulfilling their job description. They're unregenerate. The problem is not sinners. The problem is that the saints are not fulfilling their job description to be light to those who are locked up in darkness. And listen, People exhibit different degrees of sin. They give in to different things that other people don't give in to. But the answer for all of that is to receive Jesus as owner of our lives, to pray for your friends and loved ones. Not that they'll stop doing that sin. It's a wasted prayer. The prayer is draw them to you, Jesus, so they will be born again, so your spirit will come into their life. Then we can talk about that other stuff. All right, listen, listen. The reality is that you and I must not, must not give in to passing judgment on other people for the sins they commit. We must not do that. However, the Bible does teach us that we have to use wisdom about fellowship. Because there are certain sins that will infect other people and do more damage. So we have to make 
judgmental choices. Not about whether somebody's saved or not. That's not our job. But there are choices we have to make. I want to read these to you and then ask Mark at abbotloop.org. <laughs> Just send me your questions. And I know I'm going to get them after this, that's for sure. 1 Corinthians 5. I have written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning people of this world who are immoral or greedy, swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. Paul's saying, quit getting your little feelings hurt when a sinner acts like a sinner. You're called to influence them. That's not what I wrote you about. What I wrote you about is, I am now writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slander, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. You're not judging salvation. However, the things that Paul listed right here, if we just allow those to go on without any correction, they're going to infect other people's lives. We do have a responsibility there. Is this making sense? You say, yeah, but you know, what if I judge wrong? Well, the, the Lord will forgive you like he does everything else. But we have to be aware of this because our fellowship does infect other people. And we do have to make a decision. Second Thessalonians, same thing. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now, what is he talking about? We know from uh, the things that Paul talks about, about how we are all being sanctified. We're not fully sanctified in this life yet. We're being sanctified. We know that he's not saying, if you've got a brother or a sister in your midst and they're really struggling with a sin, but they are struggling and they are seeking and drawing near to God, he's not talking about those kind of people. Because that's all of us. You there? That's all of you. Go ahead and say, that's me. That's me. That's me. There's stuff I know and I'm struck. Pray for me. Don't kick me out of the group yet. Pray for me. But he's talking about people who do this and say, oh, God's love is so great. It doesn't matter that I sleep around. Oh, yes, it does. Because it will infect other people. It will dishonor Christ. And it will injure his body. God loves all humanity. His wrath is against the things that hurt his children. Because he loves his kids. Have a wonderful week. And ask God to have somebody cross your path that needs some good light. Not judgmental light, but healthy light. Needs a little salt to preserve their life before it's too late. And you'll be surprised at what may happen. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.